and welcome to Wrestling and Everything Coast to Coast with your host, Buddy Satello, and special guest host, Mike Leno. Do you want to introduce our guest tonight? I, I do, because um, Tony Jones is a longtime friend of mine, an amateur great who was a professional great. Uh, most of us know him from the West Coast, but he's, you know, worked for everybody, and uh, including WWE, as we were just talking. Um, I, I do want to say we had scheduled Ed Gurria, the Phantom, the Wrestling Phantom, who was my boss, the very first editor at um, Wrestling Eye magazine in the 80s. And, um, and then he uh, was like the, the big genius historian for Wrestling Perspective Newsletter, which got a lot of uh, awards and accolades from Dave Meltzer and others. Uh, and, and, you know, Ed, I get this email from Ed and you know, just says, oh, call me. I'm in the hospital. And I call and find out that he's had the majority of his leg amputated. I'll have more on that as we find out. Uh, he's in good spirits. Uh, you know, I had to blanket email a lot of folks uh, in, in the business about this, including lady wrestler Debbie Combs, who said to say hi to Tony tonight. But we're fortunate to have shooter Tony Jones on. I want to talk a little about Butch Reed, who we lost. Bruce was his real name, but uh, he changed that. Uh, you know, when he first started, I guess his first major territory was Florida. And then we all know he went to Georgia Championship Wrestling, kind of replacing Tony uh, Atlas, another great Tony in pro wrestling. And uh, then, of course, Mid-South for, gosh, three, four years before he was kind of misused in WWF. Uh, as the natural managed by slick but man he was a kick-ass guy i was with him in japan we can get into a little of that but tony thank you so much for doing the show evan ginsburg is in here he's had a, a deadline he's got that book upcoming everybody okay. tony you got a book in you i know you do <laughs> i want i want to do a book I, you know I, I even talked to dave Meltzer about it and he thought i'd have a really good interesting story you know from my perspective so you know, I've had some support from people that I should put together a book. And, you know, that's something I do want to do. Yeah. Tony, uh, I want to say that you were one of the first people that I actually got to meet in APW when I joined up. And when I think of the word professional wrestler from an indie perspective, you're one of the most ultimate people that I think of. You're you're the you're the wrestler's wrestler, you know, and and your whole career has been you know, uh, focused on being as good as you can be and and being somebody that has always been a positive, positive person in the locker room. And I don't ever remember you ever having any heat backstage with anybody ever. You always had a positive word for everybody, no matter how bad our matches were. And boy, we had some bad matches in ABW. <laughs> you know, you, you always found a positive way to spin it and and you always looked at the bright side of what everyone did um, in the ring. And um, I, I want to find out, how did you get to be that way? And how did you get started in professional wrestling? Well, thank you. Thank you so much for those kind words. I really appreciate it, man. It's really nice of you. Um, um, I think I think my background, just my background as far as amateur wrestling, you know, I played a little football in high school as well, track and field, but I've always come from team aspects and I've always looked at, you know, pro wrestling as the same thing, you know, we're a team and, you know, from the opening match to the main event, you know, we're all together trying to put on a good show. So it's, it's a, it's a brotherhood. It's a, it's a team. So, you know, it's stuff that I picked up from my amateur wrestling days at San Francisco state uh, over at my high school at Reardon high school. So th th for me, there was no other way to be, 
you know, you kind of support your brothers, you know, and when things go wrong, you try to, you know, try to find the good in it or try to learn from it. But, uh, but yeah, man, I really appreciate those words. Thank you. Uh, let's, we're, so I don't even know this about you, so this is good. You know, we've been friends for decades. Um, but I, I'm guessing you, did you watch, were you a pro wrestling fan as a young kid like most, or was that something that came after you uh, began an amateur? Um, yeah. No, I, I, was a, I was a pro wrestling fan before I even went to elementary school. And I remember that distinctly because my very first day of going to kindergarten, I remember thinking, I hope I can find a friend who likes pro wrestling. So I, I, so I do re distinctly remember that. So I did like pro wrestling before I could even, you know, go to elementary school. So I've always been a fan. Um, just growing up watching it, I never really thought I'd, I was tough enough to be a pro wrestler. I was like, oh, my God, these guys are so tough. They're hitting each other with chairs and all the blood. And, you know, they're slamming each other down on the mats really hard. And, you know, I just kind of looked up to these guys, you know, like Butch Reed. You know, all these guys, I was looking at some of your guys' flyers. You know, these are legendary flyers, Junkyard Dog on the card, Kamala, Butch Reed, all these guys, Hall of Famers, you know? And it's just, I grew up watching, you know, all of these guys. And um, my earliest fond memories of a child, being a child was my parents taking me to the Cow Palace and watching Ray Stevens and Pat Patterson and, oh, you, you know. Did, so what, what year would you have been, uh, or what was your first card, uh, say, at a Roy Shire? show you know i've always wondered that mike i'm not exactly sure but i do have a program that i picked up um and i think it was 1980 no 1981 1981 i think flair just won the world title for the wow. first time for the first time so i must have been about 10 years old so i don't know if that was my first show but that's the first show that my parents bought me a program i still have all my magazines that I collected month after month after, you know, the wrestler inside wrestling, pro wrestling illustrated, you know, all of those. And Mike, um, you know, when you say we're, we're, we're really good friends, I mean, I, I truly honor that. And I value that. And I agree with you. I've been friends with you from the very beginning. Um, I have a lot of respect for you. A lot of those magazines have your pictures in them with your name in there. So I just want you to know, I truly respect you and everything that you've done in the business. When people ask you if you know, buddy, you just kind of shy away and, and, and <laughs> no, only my by memory, association. Only babes, by association. My memory, my memories of you, buddy, are when you came in and you started doing some manager manager work for us at APW, and you oh, were always, yeah. you were always a straight straight up guy, and I've always liked you as well, brother. Well, uh, one one specific story that I remember is um, I was eating goldfish in the back. You know, uh, uh, you know, as the the pregame dinner, since we were just kind of randomly, you know, anyone just grab whatever they could. And I, I was eating goldfish and you were you had your can of, of tuna fish, which you just opened straight up and just just dig right in. And you were just like saying, you know, I, I said, God, can you just like handle just this pure can of tuna fish like that? And you said protein is protein. And you got to get a lot more protein in your buddy than that crap, those, the crap goldfish. And I got to say, you have not aged one day since you've been in the ring. You look like you did exactly when you were wrestling for APW. So I got to ask you about your regimen now. And do you still keep, you know, in, in fighting shape, you know, so to speak? I know you wouldn't get back in the ring, but you look like you're still in really good condition. Well, he might. He might. His son might be a wrestler, too. Yeah, we never, you know, never say never, right? 
I'm glad you said all that. I'm glad you said that because I can't see myself. I see like a black screen in the in the picture in picture, so I can't really see myself. So so it does look. I'm not like cut off or anything. No, you're good. No, no, no. We're seeing okay. you pretty okay. good. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not really training like I should. You know, of course, because of the pandemic and everything. But what I'm in the process of doing is turning one of my rooms here in the house into a gym. So so I'm working on that. I'm just not sure which way I'm going to go. If I want to, you know, if, as I'm getting older. Do I want to do free weights or do I want to move to like more like Bowflex equipment, you know? So I'm kind of like debating which way to go with that. You know, I already have a treadmill. So, you know, that's, that's kind of like what the future holds in my workout plan is to, you know, kind of do it indoors and do it in my, in, in my own house. So I'm, work, I'm working on that right now as we speak, actually. Tony, I want to throw some names at you before we ask how you got into, and I think it was only called Pacifico Sports, but uh, I, I'm trying to recall, it wasn't the West Side Players, but Kwame and Jay Smooth, Kwame Kamozi and Jay Smooth and that group you joined, what was, what were they called? Uh, uh, they, they were the West Side Players. Oh, they were the West Side Players because that group constantly changed, was brought up, and I'm thinking, oh, gee, was that the... The group with like, uh, oh, I can't think of his name now, who came out with the, the lady that would later marry Vinnie Massaro, um, whatever year that was. Oh, too. Veronica. Yeah, yeah Veronica. But, uh, but that, I'm thinking of the outfit like with Icebox Robert Smith, who was the security guard at, at the uh, Oakland Arena. Yeah, they were Westside okay. Players 2000. They were Westside Players 2000. Westside Players. But Kwame, could that guy cut a mofo promo? He was amazing. Back. Oh, 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 I thought Kwame was phenomenal. Kwame, yeah. Kwame, Kwame reminded me very much of New Jack. Yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of like, that's what Kwame, I think, was, I think that's what he was going for. But not as scary in real life, thank God. I, hope. I don't know. I don't well, know. Dependable. Kwame, Kwame, dependable. Kwame, I know Jerome really well. Yeah. I helped him with his book. And if ever, anybody wants a great, not, not scary, because... He, he ain't that way for reals, but that's the oeuvre or whatever it's called, the vibe that he puts out there. But he's a, a great friend. He <laughs> Anyway, he wanted to get into Hollywood in, in the, the worst way and was trying hard. But he has a great new book out that's about a year old, and I recommend it for everybody. Obviously, we're trying to push Tony to do his own book. But so... Um, I didn't know that you were able to actually see Stevens and, and Pat. You know, if you remember, did you remember Shire's very last battle royal? And those battle royals would be stacked because he'd have guys who he'd schedule it on their way to or from Japan. So that's why he had, unlike any other promoter, because San Francisco was my second home base as a ringside photographer of the mags. L.A. was the first. And until I moved up here in San Francisco in 79, I was coming up for all the Roy's bigger shows. And there were no ringside photographers there but anyway uh they were stacked cards and the very last one was the one pat didn't even want to come in for it ray refused they were working for Vern gagne already who shire knew was going to come in and take over along with vince uh jr if you remember shire had the, the last battle royal he had pat win uh and pat the last four guys in it were terry funk dick slater uh dusty and pat and uh and that was when uh, Roy had already lost his TV for a third time. So he had to bring in Eddie Graham TV and they would do localized interviews in Florida with like Mike Graham and Barry Windham and the Funks and Lord Al Hayes and stuff. And then send the talent for like three shows, which were tremendous shows. But um, 
uh, and then you know the whole story too when Roy had his last card he knew that Vern was going to come in and start taking over the Oakland arena and uh, Vince Jr. the Cow Palace which was sort of like the first time Vince went national this was 82 January of 82 so he goes to the LA Times and exposes the business do you know all this Tony I do know I do I do know most of it but um but wait you said Vince came in in 82 no right no because that was still because no. Vern, Vern um, had Ray and Pat under contract already, uh, and Pat was bopping back between Vince Sr., and, uh, but he was working the stint. Uh, Vince Sr. had loaned him out to, to Vern Gagne, and, and because, I don't know, there was some heat with Ray uh, and Roy that lasted for a jillion years, even though Ray named his eldest son after Roy Shire and stuff. But... Um, so Roy had refused to come in for Roy Shire's very last card, but Pat finally agreed after, you know, Ganya, uh kind of pushed him. And, and it, it ended the way it should uh, uh, with Pat going over. And, and so the Battle Royal was the opening match. Unlike L.A., where we had the 22-man Battle Royal, also every January, or Vern Gagne's Battle Royals or other promotions like in Memphis, he would have them on first. That way he could get like, guys like Brody, the Funk Brothers, Harley Race, Dusty, Gene Kaniski, all these legends. And then they were scheduled for matches after the Battle Royal to fill out the rest of the card. But half of them, you know, they would say, oh, they were injured in the Battle Royal. They can't compete, you know, because they were truly legit on their way to the airport to get out of there. They just did Roy the favor by appearing in the Battle Royal, the opening match, which was. So I just want to know if you were. Do you remember that 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 show, the one that if you uh, I don't know if you got to go to that very last battle royal. The Cow Palace only half full with all those great talents, amazing talents. Ernie, um, Lee, oh, it was full. I re- I remember I remember going. Um, it, it's kind of hazy when I think about that Roy Shire generation because I think I was so young at that point. What I do remember really vividly, and I remember it, you know, just like it was yesterday. I remember Hulk Hogan in the AWA. And I remember like, you know, Hulk Hogan, Jerry Blackwell, Ken Patera, Jesse Ventura, you know, those guys, I remember that like it was yesterday. And I, you know, but I do remember the, the Roy Shire crew. Cause I think my earliest memory, and I've, I've said this like in other interviews, and maybe you can help me with this, Mike, I thought it was Dusty Rhodes and Pat Patterson for maybe for maybe the United the United States Heavyweight Championship, I think. Fight, but uh, Dusty was our last, Roy Shire's last champion. So when Roy had to switch from Don Owen Portland TV and stuff, he had a falling out with Don. So Roy lost the Sacramento TV altogether. And first he went with um, Portland and Don Owen and, and you know, Buddy Rose and Wiskowski would come down. And then for about a year, he went with Bob Geigel's Kansas City, which was the absolute drizzling shits, the talent that came in. Bruiser Bob Sweetan. We already had local George Wells, who was fine in main events. He was good. Ron Starr. You know, it was kind of just uh, Akio Sato, uh, Betty Nikolai, stuff like that. And then the last three cards, we all were hoping it would work, was Eddie Graham stuff, which the TV was tremendous, fantastic, you know, wealth of talent. And, um, but so the, the, the very first of the Eddie Graham shows at the Cow Palace for Roy Shire, they had a held up U.S. title thing and it was Dusty against Ole Anderson. Oh, maybe that's who it was. It was probably Ole. Yeah. And, wow. and so Pat wasn't on those shows until the very last one. 
where he came in because Roy had fired him in 76 when he came down to my primary home base when I was still living in LA shooting ringside for the LaBelle Los Angeles Olympic Auditorium promotion. And Pat was being advertised as the US champ, and he'd already dropped the strap months before that in the Cow Palace for Roy. So Roy got pissed at him and, uh, and fired him. And, and uh, so Pat w was stuck around our area, but hey, we were happy to have him there. And he was, he turned face and he was feuding with Roddy Piper, who'd lost his hair to Chavo Guerrero and was working as the Mass Canadian. And that was one of two times, you know, for the three years Piper was with us in L.A., which is where he came to fame. So, yeah, well, hey, Tony, I'd like to find out a little bit more about, like, how you got started and a little bit more about your background, especially because I wasn't there. You were already part of APW when when I joined. Um, how did you get started in APW? How did you meet Roland Alexander? And, and tell us about some of your experiences starting out in all pro wrestling. Um. Basically, while I was wrestling at San Francisco State, while I was in college, um, I worked at a video store, you know, like video rentals, right? Um, it was like a smaller blockbuster video kind of a store. And I had a guy come in. I used to always play. What was the name of the, the, the place? Cap video Droid? No. Captain oh, Captain Video. video. I yes. remember Captain Video. Absolutely. Cool. Was that a okay. chain or was there just one of them? No, there was a chain. Okay. They had them. They had, like, I think four in San Francisco. They still have one in business out in San Mateo. Wow. If you, can, if, you can, if you can believe that, renting DVDs and I think VHS tapes and, you know, other stuff. I think they do some streaming. They're so coming of, back you know. into fashion again, VHS. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're, they're, they're still in business, surprisingly. But um, so I worked at Captain Video, and I, had the, I used to always play on the screen. I used to play wrestling. You're supposed to show new releases, you know, of the new movies so that people come in, they see the new release, they want to rent the new release. But I would always show just pro wrestling because that's what I wanted to see. So I played pro wrestling all the time. One guy came in and he said, every time I come in here, I see you're playing pro wrestling. And he said, are you, are you interested in pro wrestling? I said, yeah, I've been a fan since I was a kid. And he said, you know, do you play any sports right now? I said, yeah, I'm on the wrestling team at San Francisco State. He said, when you're done wrestling at San Francisco State, I want to talk to you about something. And I said, OK, cool. And I just kind of blew it off. So the guy would come in and out of the store over the years. So after I finished wrestling at San Francisco State, he comes back in and I said, hey, you know, I'm done wrestling at San Francisco State. You said you always said you had something you wanted to talk to me about. And he said, yeah, if you're interested, uh, you know, I can introduce you to this guy and maybe you can try yourself in pro wrestling. And I said, oh, I said, OK, that sounds cool. I just kind of like didn't think too much of it. So one night he and I get in his car, we drive out to Hayward and he introduces me to Roland. And this guy's name is Steve Sturgeon. He's a friend of he's a friend of Roland. I think you might have knew him. Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Steve Sturgeon. So he introduced me to Roland. You know, I talked to Roland about my amateur background and everything. And Roland, Roland actually seemed happy, you know, to bring me in. He said, oh, we don't have any shooters. You know, and I said, oh, what's a what's a shooter? You know, and then he explained to me about, you know, the amateur wrestling. And, and I said, oh, OK, cool. So I remember he said, why don't you come back next week and see the guys train? So I came back the next week. And that's when I met Vic Grimes. Because um, Vic Grimes had signed signed up the week before me, so he was there as well. So he said he's going to be starting in the new camp. I said, "Oh, I guess I am too." So that's when I saw APW and some of the guys for the first time. It was it was some of the you know kind of like the more mid card guys. Like I didn't meet Mike Modest, I didn't meet Max Justice, Robert Thompson, some of those guys, you know, um, until a few more visits to APW. But um, when I came in, 
you know, Roland just kind of showed me around and everything. And I remember guys coming up to me almost instantly saying, hey, are you the one with the amateur wrestling background? <laughs> so, you know, so I, I was like, oh, OK, so Roland must have been talking about me, you know, so it was it was cool. I felt it felt like I got a pretty good warm reception. I remember Jay Smooth coming up to me, you know, Boom Boom Kamini, you know, some a lot of those guys. And it was it was, it was very like- it was very cool. How do you feel your amateur wrestling background prepared you or maybe didn't prepare you for what you did in the ring? Oh, I thought it really prepared me. Um, I just recently lost my San Francisco State wrestling coach. He just passed away. I think he had some um, a heart issue. And um, I remember going to him several times telling him, you know, coach, thanks for everything you've done for me at San Francisco State. You know, I've been all over the world in pro wrestling and, you know, guys have tried, tried me here and there and nobody could do anything to me. And I know it's because of my training and, you know, my coach would always say, Oh no, Tony, you know, those guys aren't going to be able to do anything to you. You're trained and they're not, you know? So I've always felt that my amateur wrestling helped me out, especially when I was, when I went to Japan, I had to wrestle in Japan. I wrestled for an organization called battle arts. Um, It was more, it was more of a shoot organization. And those guys tried to be stiff with me and I had to bring them down a few times just to kind of show them. I know how to defend myself. Um, I was sent to the WCW power plant. Terry Taylor invited me to come out there. Um, I went to uh, the power plant, trained under Buddy Lee Parker. Um, I was with a lot of those guys, the WCW power plant guys. Um, their names kind of escape me right now, but it was like Mike Sanders, uh, the guy Reno, um, Sonny Siaki was there. Um, few of those, few of those guys, some of those power plant guys, that ended up coming in. And I think they were called the new blood or something like that towards the end of the days at um, new WCW new breed. Thank you. Yeah. They were brought in, um, in, in the late, late years of WCW. So when we were out there, it was myself, Adam Pierce, um, this other guy named, uh, Rashi, I think it was Rashi Brown. So it was three of us that they brought in and those guys at the power plant tried to stretch us. So, you know, they did a number on Adam, they did a number on Rashi, and those guys ended up quitting. They quit, they quit the power plant and said, you know, they're not going to treat us like this. And I remember just being able to defend myself out there because of my amateur wrestling. I got in there with um, uh, Sean O'Hare. Sean O'Hare tried to, tried to wrestle me a little bit, and Reno. And I remember just neither one of those guys being able to take me down. I didn't take them down, but they couldn't take me down. And, you know, we just kind of like, you know, bear hug each other all over the ring, you know. But um, but I just remember thinking, like, you know, if I didn't have the training, you know, they would have done the same thing to me. What's so, what's the most important thing that you learned as an amateur wrestler that you applied to being in the ring? Um, confidence and uh, conditioning, knowing how to breathe when you're out there. Um, I remember going to some of the training camps with APW and, you know, we had to run the parking lots and we had to do drills. And I remember doing the same thing over at the power plant. And I remember guys throwing up you know, uh, just not feeling good at all. And I remember thinking to myself, my God, these guys are out of shape. Because, I mean, <laughs> the stuff that I did at San Francisco State is 10 times worse than this. I mean, we'd run five miles three, four times a week, you know. And, I mean, that's after, a, you know, two and a half, three-hour practice, you know. So I just remember thinking that, you know, these guys are kind of soft, you know, in comparison well, to what, also I, what I went through. really good care of your body. You weren't out there. I don't ever remember you being part of the big drinking you know, parties or the, the crazy stuff that was going on in the back of a, the APW locker room every once in a while. So you were always, you were, you were not only the shooter, but you were a straight shooter. And that was another thing I always admired about, about your character is who you were, you know, was really in the ring with so much of who you were outside the ring too. 
Oh, I, I would, I would, you know, after a wrestling show, I would love to just come home, order a, order a pizza or something, and just, you know, sit back and watch television. I mean, that was fun to me, and think about the, you know, the people that had fun that night. That was, you know, that was always fun to me. And I remember Roland sometimes giving me a hard time, you know, saying, oh, you know, Tony, you should, you should hang out with the boys more. You know, you need to kind of socialize with the guys more. And I remember when he gave me the strap, and I was the APW champion. He said, you know, Tony, now you really got to hang out with the guys. You know, it doesn't look good when you're the champ and you know, as soon as the show's over, you, you know, you leave. And I said, well, Roland, take the belt off me then. So, but, <laughs> but he never, he never did. He didn't take the belt off me. And it was, it was really cool because several years later, I'd say about maybe 10 years later, I had a good talk with Roland and Roland said, you know, Tony, you never got too involved in pro wrestling. I think you were actually smarter than all of us. Tony, let me so, ask quickly about battle arts it was very celebrated over there. Is that, does that have anything to do with the uh, Santina Morella's battle arts in like Ontario, Canada? No, I think they're comp they're completely unrelated. Yeah, no, I, I, a, a, a like a UWF Takata group wasn't that what Battle Arts was from? I'm just trying to recall Battle Arts in Japan. Yes, it was. Um, they were like a subdivision of, of of Pride, Pride Fighting Championships. Okay, okay. I remember when I was out there, they had all these posters everywhere about Pride and Sky Sports. So I think in some way, you know, they were being funded through that. Um, one of the, one of the, uh, one of the battle art wrestlers, Alexander Atsuka, I believe that's his name. Um, he fought several fight, several matches in pride. The, um, the booker of battle arts was Yuji Shimada and that's the referee from pride. So the referee that did all the main events, the referee that used to wear like the headgear so that, you know, he had a camera on his headgear. Um, that was Yuji Shimada. And that was my booker. And he, he was a super, super nice guy because, you know, my mother, my mother's Japanese and I had family in Japan. When I went out to wrestle in Japan, um, I must have had about maybe 20 people show up to come and support me from my family in Japan. Uh -huh. And I went to you and I went to Yuji Shimada and I said, you know, I didn't know this many people were coming. Is there anything we can do about maybe, you know, comping them and, you know, taking it out of my pay? And he said, no, Tony, it's it's OK. And he comped them all and didn't take it out of my pay. So. You know, Yuji Shimada was a totally, he was a really nice guy. I don't remember the owner's name. Um, another guy that wrestled for Battle Arts, who's still wrestling today. I was talking to Modest about him, Mike Modest about him, uh, Mohamed Yone. So he's a, yeah, I think he's doing New Japan or All Japan. I'm not sure which, what he's doing right now, but he's still wrestling in Japan. And he was one of the Battle Art guys that I was in a program with. You know, New Japan moved their dojo from Santa Monica down to where almost where I'm living right now in Long Beach. I and think I heard. I think I heard about that. I think I heard. That's where they had uh, Kenta from New Japan um, wrestle. They've already taped it. John Moxley. That's not even going to be shown on pay per view for or their TV on New Japan, uh, their streamer for another couple of weeks or something. But um, they already had it there, and, and that's where Carl Fredericks and some other APW more recent guys are. And before I get right back to, to Buddy, I, I want to get this in before I forget. I've been trying to put together we, anybody that was ever part of APW, you know, either a Zoom chat or maybe, you know, a party probably a year away before we can all get together. Who knows? Um, but I'd, I'd like to hear what you think of that. And a, were you in the second class of APW? The first class had Mike Diamond, Mike, Max Justice, the various names he had. I think Frank Burdock was in there. Obviously, Modest Rosano. Um, Super Diablo, Matt, uh, Matt Heisen, Matt Heisen, Matt Heisen and, and also Leprechaun, uh, Mike, uh, oh, Jesus. Uh, no, 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 Leprechaun, 
Spike Dudley. Yeah, Spike. Yeah, no, yeah, Spike was in that class with Mike Mott. Yeah, Spike was in that class with Mike Modest and Mike Diamond and all those guys, Robert Thompson. Um, and they trained They trained under Robert Thompson. Correct, right. Okay, okay. So they trained under Robert Thompson. I Ricky, think, Thompson. Ricky Thompson. Ricky right? Thompson. That's right. Ricky Thompson. Excuse me. Ricky Thompson. Uh, what's it, Danson? Dancing Ricky Thompson, right? Well, he wasn't that for <laughs> primarily enhancement, but he was on a ton for years and years and years, this being Ricky, who's now... Do you, I don't even keep in touch with him, but he uh, came to Cauliflower. He moved to Texas about 10, 15 years ago. Okay. I saw a picture of him not too long ago. He looks good. Yeah, it looks the same. Um, um, yeah, so I think, I think I'm probably like the second class. That's what um, I thought. Yeah, because I remember when I came in, when I came in, uh, I think about maybe a week or two after I came in, they did an APW show. And I do remember Steve Rosano, you know, coming out to Rico Suave. And I mean, really, really coming off like a heel. And I, when I saw him and I have to I give him credit for that, I always tease him about it. You know, whenever I think of uh, my first time coming in APW, I remember Steve Rosano. I'm like, dude, that that's a heel. He kind of reminded me of like, you know, Rick Rude, without, Rick Rude without the abs. You know, he'd come to the ring. He, you know, he'd tell the the girl that you know the guy she's with is fat and sloppy. You need to be with me. And you know, so I do remember Steve Rosano. I do remember Mike Modest. Um, some of my early memories were Chris Cole, Mike, Chris Cole, Chris, Chris Cole, Chris Cole, and Bill Cole. Cole were they brothers. legit brothers, or that was a work? No, they were real brothers. Okay. Um, um, you you mentioned Leprechaun. So Leprechaun came in. I want to say a few months after I started training. That was, he, Crash uh, that was Crash Holly. That was Crash Holly, right? That was yes. that was Crash Holly, but he was already trained. Mike Lockwood. Uh, Mike Lockwood. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, Mike Lockwood. Mike trained. Mike trained. I think he trained with Woody Farmer. Yeah. Or, yeah. 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 And, and finesse and relearn a lot of stuff with Roland. Right. Ex exactly. So he came in and then he joined our class, but you know he wasn't at the same level as us. He'd already had matches and you know he'd already been trained, but Roland wanted him to get kind of you know fine tuned and. You know, that's when he was doing the Johnny Pearson stuff. Then he came in with us and, you know, started doing the Aaron O'Grady thing. And I remember, you know, Crash and I were good friends. I remember talking to him, you know, several times because, you know, he was a little bit ahead of me as far as, you know, matches and all that stuff. And he was like, yeah, Tony, I got my gimmick and everything planned out. You know, you need to get your gimmick together. And I said, what's your gimmick? And he said, oh, I'm going to be a leprechaun. <laughs> and I said, and I said, oh, that, that sounds cool. He goes, yeah, I got this. I got these gold pieces of candy. And I'm going to throw this out to the fans. And, you know, the little kids will take the gold candy. It's a perfect baby face. And I said, yeah, that sounds great. And he goes, but see, it works good as a heel, too, because I'm going to come out with a pot of gold. And then I'm going to come out and hand the candy to the kids. And when the kids reach out to grab the candy, I'm going to say, no, you can't have any candy from my pot of gold. <laughs> so, so I remember him telling me all about this before we even did anything with him at APW. Another guy who did this to me, because I remember thinking to myself, I really got to get myself going. Because Vic Grimes came up to me. He goes, yeah, what's your gimmick going to be, brother? And I said, I'm not sure what my gimmick is going to be yet. And he said, yeah, I got my gimmick. My name is going to be Vic Grimes. And I'm going to be this maniac from the backwoods of Arkansas. And I said, really? He goes, yeah, it's going to be a cross between Cactus Jack and Vader. And he kind of was. And, and that's exactly what he became. So I just remember, you know, early discussions with these guys. You know, I remember your fights with Vic Grimes, and those were <laughs> intense matches, man. Those were some of your best, I think. When you and, and Vic, you know, squared off against each other, you guys. Let had... me let me let me let me let me squeeze in this real good story. Um, so so it's my first battle royal, right? 
and I'm in there with Vic and Vic wants to do a spot and we go to Roland and see if it's okay where Vic takes a belly to belly from me on the floor and he also takes a German from me on the floor and this is at a high school okay so it's hardwood floors in a basketball gym right <laughs> so uh so we, we you know we, we do the belly to belly spot I got this all on video too so we do the belly to belly spot I throw him back in you know, we wrestle, we wrestle. He gives me some heat. He gives me some heat. He throws me out to the floor. When he throws me out to the floor, he follows me. He comes up from behind. Which is, you know, you see this all on video, right? So he gives me a punch. He gives me a punch. He gives me another punch. I duck the punch. I hit him with the German. And Vic just throws his feet up. He takes the German just like, you know, full, full blow. So as soon as he lands, I pick him up. I throw him back in. So I pick, and when I get back in the ring, I pick him up, I put him in the corner, I start kicking him. And then when I start choking him in the corner, Vic says, okay, Tony, now throw me out and hit me with the German. And I said, Vic, we just did the German spot. And he said, we did? And I said, yeah. <laughs> he goes, I don't remember. <laughs> and, I, and I said, okay, Vic, don't worry about it. So he, so, you know, he got, he got shaken up pretty good from that German on the floor. You guys were so Finger, physical. Stinger. <laughs> exactly yeah so um uh there's a couple other people i wanted to bring up that you worked with and and one is someone that's close to both of our hearts and and that was mark smith i'd like to get a few words for you on on our mutual friend mark smith and what it was like working with him well i have a, I have a different i have a different perspective um of mark smith than everybody else um because mark mark actually wrestled in high school with me um, he didn't, we didn't wrestle on the same teams, but I see him, I, I would see him at tournaments. So Mark was this real big guy. And this is in high school. He, he just, Mark was this real big guy with this Letterman jacket with a shark on the back of his jacket that said, seek, search and destroy. And he was, he was an animal. I can't remember. I think it was maybe Oak Grove high school. No, Clovis. It was, I think it was Clovis West high school. I think that's where Mark went. So you know, Mark was an animal in high, for high, in high school wrestling. And I remember him coming to APW. And when he came to APW, that's when I kind of put two and two together. And I said, wait a minute, you're the guy that, you know, we never wrestled against each other. But I remember seeing him at these tournaments. And I said, I remember seeing you at tournaments. And, you know, he went to, I think, Colorado and he played some football. But, you know, my, my background with Mark Smith goes back to high school, you know. And then we found each other again in pro wrestling. But Mark was one of my good friends. Um I worked Mark at the uh, King of the Indies show. We had a really good match um, that just, one of my greatest moments ever. Nick Bockwinkle comes up to me because Nick, you know, Nick Bockwinkle, some of the legends were there for the King of the Indies. Nick Bockwinkle comes up to me and he says it just like this. I'll never forget it. And he said, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed your contest this evening. <laughs> and, then I, and I just looked at him and I said, I am such a fan of yours. I said, I used to watch you when I was, you know, growing up. I said, I'm just so happy, you know, to meet you. And he said, no, you old school, very old school. I like that. And I said, oh, thank you. You know, but that was my mark. That, that was my match with Mark Smith. So I was like, OK, we must have had a good match that Nick Bockwinkle came up to, you know, to me. So but no, I think I think I thought the world of Mark, you know, was tragic, you know, when he passed away. You know, yeah, and I still miss him a, a whole lot. Um, oh, and yeah. then the other the other question I had for you was. What was your impression and your thoughts about working with Roland and what Roland Alexander, your relationship with Roland Alexander was like? Um, Roland and I would, you know, would joke about this because we kind of came off like these two guys that, you know, 
me, me more so than him. I came off kind of disgruntled because of Beyond the Mad. It made it seem as if, you know, I was like, oh, this guy doesn't pay us. And he's, you know, he's, you know, kind of like a piece of garbage and that whole thing. And that wasn't the case. You know, I, I appreciate everything Roland had done for me. You know, he gave me the platform to live my dream, you know, and a lot of the stuff that I ended up doing in pro wrestling, I would have never did. I would have never done if I hadn't met Roland Alexander. And I was able to tell him that because... You know, we had some, we, we had arguments, we had fights. Roland probably fired me probably two or three different times, um, you know, working a show for Kurt White, you know, and he, then he finds out about it and he doesn't like it. So he I remember me. that. I remember yeah. that, how Ben, <laughs> yeah. he got out of shape, he got. For that. Well, yeah. you know why? Because we would see Kirk tear down Roland's posters and stuff. They did, remember they did, uh, I don't know if Buddy wasn't around quite then. Or maybe he was. They we had two APW versus BTW uh, feuds, big time wrestling. That was Kirk White, who basically used Jason Styles trainees, and, and more or less the only thing that drew for them was flying in talent. But Kirk and Jason, who not only was the trainer for Kirk's school, but head Booker and the guy that he would always put on top against whoever he flew in uh, to oppose him. Um, they would ask Roland to put them on at the beginning. And, you know, instead of like, I'm, I'm being a little critical of, of Kirk, they would not stay for the whole card and study it and see what APW was doing right as the far more athletic promotion with all these great athletes and stuff. They said, you know, Roland, let's just do it. Let us cut our promos like, you know, right after the first match or before the first match. And they would only stay for the first match and split. And I gave him a lot of S about that because I thought, how can you come here and not stay for the whole show and see what he's doing? Because these shows are worlds better than anything you've ever done. And uh, that's how both of the interpromotional things went. They just, uh, they didn't care. They didn't seem to care. And they certainly had no one they'd bring to the table. That's why, as you know, and then I'll shut up, most of the, the time APW talent would come in and save Kirk's shows. And, and they did not get the respect, you know, he'd, he'd have them go under most all the time and he'd be using Sparky later on. And most, I mean, he used Max Marquez, he used all of our refs at APW because his were the shits. Um, I, you know, Mike, I, I totally agree with you. I think we had the better product, you know, you know, completely, you know, I, I felt like, you know, our shows were much better and I felt like we had, you know, the better talent. Um, but I kind of got a reputation for being this, you know, this guy where it's like, you know, I'm trying to make it in pro wrestling. I'm trying to be seen by sure. as many people as possible. And I'm trying to, you know, make good relationships with as many promoters as possible. So, you know, I did the same thing down in LA, you know, I booked myself. Um, I got a phone call from, I'll, I'll never forget this either. I got a phone call from, uh, Bruce Pritchard who said that, uh, they had seen my tape, um, that I'd sent them and they were interested in me. You know, they seen me on the mat and everything. But I think it would be a good idea for you to go down to Los Angeles and get yourself on Rick Bassman's card. You and I said, Yeah. And I said, and I said, OK. And I said, I don't, I don't really know Rick Bassman. And he said, well, here's his phone number. You know, give him a call because we're going to be coming down there to take a look at talent. And I said, OK, fine. You know, so I remember calling Rick Bassman like 20 minutes after I got off the phone with uh, Bruce Pritchard. And Rick, I said, you know, Rick, my name is Tony Jones. I wrestle under the name Shooter Tony Jones up here in Northern California. He goes, oh, Tony, yeah, I got you booked on my show. And, and I mean, that was <laughs> that was my first time talking to Rick. And I said, OK, wonderful. I said, I just talked to Bruce Pritchard. And he wants me on your card. He goes, yeah, I'm, you're going to be on a show with Mike Bell, you know, Mad Dog Mike Bell. And I said, OK, I go, sounds good. And that's when I went down 
for three shots with UPW. Um, and I worked Mike Bell. Then I worked John Cena when he was prototype. Then I worked Mike Bell a second time. So I did three shots there. So before I went down there, I, I figured to myself, you know, since I'm going to be in LA, you know, maybe I can book myself for another organization. So I call XPW and I speak with Kevin Kleinrock. And I said, you know, I'll be down in LA. And I was wondering if you guys could use me. And they said, yeah, we can use you. So I think they had a show, something like Wednesday and Thursday. Rick Bassman had a show Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I remember the Sunday show in San Diego. Um, so I ended up doing five shows in a row. XPW, I worked, that's when I worked uh, Tracy Smothers. I went into XPW, I worked Tracy Smothers for two nights. So, um, so I did two nights of XPW and then three nights of Rick Bassman. I'll never forget talking to Rick Bassman. And I told Rick, you know, I got myself booked for XPW as well. He goes, well, we don't really work with those guys. And I said, uh, you know, that's, that's fine. You know, I said, I'm just, I'm just trying to get booked all over the place. And he says, well, we'd rather you not work for them. But since you already booked yourself, you know, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you work for them as well, which I thought was really professional on Rick Bassman's part. So Rick allowed me to go ahead and keep my booking date with XPW, but he asked me not to work for them again as long as I'm working for UPW. So it was, it was kind of like the same kind of thing with you know Roland and Kurt White, but you know I was still able. Well, to UPW work was considered a farm system like Puerto Rico was Victor Quinones' group uh, for WWF at the time, uh, like yeah. farms somewhere you know they just like you said Pritchard would have guys uh, do tryouts and stuff like that and. I shot it, but sadly, I don't think I ever shot. I must have shot you at one XPW or Bassman. Um, but anyway, you know, that was when I, the I, I, and the Ballards and all those guys were all down there, along with uh, even uh, uh, Lisa Marie Varone, who was, uh, she just came back to WWE in her Victoria character. Yes. Um, the, the guys I remember when I, when I came in there for the first time, um, that was John Cena. Uh, this guy, Bad Boy Basil. Um, Frankie Kazarian, Christopher Daniels, um, of course, Mike Bell, Smelly Bell, who's now a power lifter. Uh, what's his name? What's his name? Not Chris. Chris is the documentary guy, bigger, stronger, faster. And then Mark Bell, the power lifter. So he was Smelly. So met all those guys. Um, yeah, Victoria, um, the Doublement twins. I can't remember the, the Polish girls. They were working for Rick Bassman. <laughs> Samoa Joe was, was working those shows, too. Samoa, Samoa Joe was there. Um, this is a little bit before, you know, when Chris Masters came in, The Miz. You know, I, I came to the ring one time where Miz is my manager, which I thought was just funny. Um, I think I'm doing a match against Sylvester Turkai, and The Miz is my manager. Um, but I had great times with UPW. Rick Bassman became my manager, you know, my real manager in pro wrestling. Because he, he was... I don't know what he called his name. I thought he was also trying to, everybody seemed to want to get a payday off the battle arts name. He ran uh, an MMA group and he was actually, he had Tom Howard, who I'm sure you know, Sambo wrestler, training yes. Mark Kerr and Mark Coleman and even uh, 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 Josh Barnett and guys from, you know, UFC basically. And yeah, and I, best, think, yeah. I think that was part of his zero one organization, right? Because he had me go up to the casino that was like three hours away. It was like up in, not Clear Lake, but it was way up there from San Francisco, three-hour drive. And uh, he had some tremendous shows, but he's kind of fallen off the face of the map. What, what has happened to Rick Bassman? Do you know? Um, 
Rick is one of my dear friends. Um, when, you know, when my mom passed away, I think Rick was one of the first people I called. No, actually, Rick called me. My, Rick called me while my mom was really sick and mm. just, you know, s- said, I want to provide you with some support, Tony, just, you know, just in case you need it. But um, I think of Rick as a really good friend. Um, I think Rick is up in Hawaii. Really? I, I, yeah, I seem kind of jealous when I when I look at some of the stuff I see on Facebook. I mean, he's just running around with his dogs and it's beautiful out there and it's all this green. Well, how did he make his money? Because I don't think he made that much money from wrestling and he lost a lot on MMA. So where was the still coming from? Rick, Rick, I don't know. Rick seemed to be all over the place. Yeah. Rick, Rick, Rick was tied in with all these MMA guys, with different actors and actresses. You know, just he's always had he's always had his nose in Hollywood, and you know, and I mean, every time I would hang out with Rick, you know, he always seemed like the man that was connected. Yeah. You know? So I so I have no Next idea. I have, I have so I have, best I have, character. Right. I have no, I have no idea how he made his money or how he was able to go off in Hawaii and live this beautiful existence. But, but all I know is that you know Rick knows a lot of people, and you know he did a lot for me. You know, I remember, I remember the Urban Wrestling Alliance. Um, oh yeah, came, yeah. With Mike was even in that. He wasn't urban at all. Right, right. Mike wasn't really one. Of, Mike wasn't one of the talent. Mike was the uh, Mike was the the trainer. So. Uh, so when I did that, um, I didn't really like the contract that they handed me. And I was also still trying to go back and forth to Japan. And, you know, and if WWE called, I wanted to be able to do WWE. So, um, so Rick was able to take my contract and talk to those guys and manipulate my contract so that I could get those things in my contract. So even though I was still under contract with Urban, I was still able to go to Battle Arts and do another tour. Because I did three tours of Battle Arts. Wow. So, um, so never, uh, never toured Noah. That was that puzzled me with the uh, modest and Donovan and Bison. Well, what I, the the way I I talked to Chris Daniels about it, and Chris Chris who who they didn't take either, I don't think, um, told me that there was some kind of thing in Japan where if you work for this organization, they don't want to bring you in to this organization because you know you're known as this guy or something along those lines. But I was okay with it because I tried out for Noah. With Mark Smith, with you know Modest, Donovan, all those guys, and I was one of the guys that they didn't take. So those guys ended up going you to should. Japan to. Do, no, thank you. They those guys ended up going to Japan, um, and on their first trip going to Japan, that's when my father had a heart attack, hmm. and and I was able to be there for him, be there for my mother. So I kind of felt like you know it wasn't meant for me to go to Japan. You know I needed to be here. And I needed to be here for my family. So, you know, when I think about Noah, you know, and trying out for Noah and all that kind of stuff, I'm glad they didn't take me because I was I was I was busy doing something else. I just didn't know it at the time. So tell us a little bit more about your WWE experience and what that was like and, and what it was like to to be in the big show. Um, it was it was it was, you know, your whole life, you know, you've always wondered what it would be like to be in the WWE and you know, my first my first time with, you know, when I did it with Modest for Beyond the Mat, you know, that was my very first time. I was kind of getting the, the jitters out. You know, I've had probably maybe eight eight or nine matches with WWE. I did a couple of tag matches. Um, with, you know, the Basham Brothers. I worked against Eugene. I worked against Snitsky. I worked against Raven. You know, a match against Modest. You know, and I, I just, I always had good experiences, you know, with everybody. A lot of the wrestlers knew me because of Beyond the Mat. You know, I think Beyond the Mat did so much for my career because, you know, we became known as the Beyond the Mat guys. 
So everybody got a chance to see, you know, who we were. So I'm, you know, I'm grateful for everything that happened to me in the wrestling business. You know, my experiences in WWE were great. Uh, Stephanie McMahon came up to me. Um, Vince McMahon came up to me. I'll never forget Vince McMahon coming up to me at at, at mm-hmm. the end of my after my match after my match with Modest. I'm sitting in the back, just kind of like taking this all in. I can't believe I'm backstage at you know in the WWE. Um, I'm can't I can't believe I'm backstage in the WWE looking at all these wrestlers. And I remember one of the Godwins getting into an argument or a fight with Undertaker. So those two are getting into a little shoving match and they're, they're arguing and they're fighting and somebody walks over and breaks them up. When they get broken up, I'm like, oh, wow. I turn my head and there's Vince McMahon standing there looking at me. And when he's staring at me, I'm kind of thinking, okay, he's about to throw me out of here. Like I shouldn't, I probably shouldn't be here. So he looks at me and he goes, are, are you having a good time? And I said, I go, yes, sir. I'm very happy to be here. And he goes, we're happy to have you. He goes, you did good tonight. And I said, and I said, thank you, sir. And he said, yeah. And he walked away. Yeah. And I just, I could not believe it. I left soon after that. Cause I said, it's not going to get better than that. Hmm. <laughs> and I came back and I came, I came back a couple of years later and he walks in and all the guys are just sitting there just kissing his butt. I mean, there was like a line of people just lined up. Hi Vince. Hi Vince. Hi Vince. And he walks through all these people shaking everybody's hand and I'm off to the side, you know, I'm, don't want to, I don't, I don't want him to see me. Cause I don't, I just don't want to get thrown out. Right. So he walks by me, he walks by me and he looks at me and he goes, good to see you again. And I said, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. I said, wow. And I, I remember telling Barry Blaustein about it and Barry said, Oh, they know the movie. They seen the movie. He goes, they know who you are. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. I was Barry's still <laughs> photographer. He was shooting pre-production for like six, seven years, mostly on those goofy uh, T.C. Martin Vegas shows, if you remember those. Mm-hmm. And then he went to Sacramento, uh, and, and Barry had all of this stuff, tons of footage. You know, we were talking, he was going to focus on Tom Howard uh, as one of the... He had no idea where this thing was going to go. Mm-hmm. I put in the thing, I'm not trying to put myself over, but the, the whole APW thing, and I was telling him, you should focus on like a legendary veteran, meaning Terry Funk, Somebody up, you know, current huge star. Um, Mick Foley was one of the ones I mentioned. And then I said either Candido or Modest. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, whatever. But it, it, I still keep in touch with Barry and Super Agent, his buddy, his financier, Barry Bloom, to this day. Remember, Barry Bloom was, had mm-hmm. every contract from Hogan to Jesse Ventura, Nash, all of them. But yep. that, that move, it was weird. And Roland was viewed as like the heel of it, and I'll shut up, but uh, he was like ecstatic. You know, remember how he titted up the, the gym, the APW garage, and had the, he, when, when Barry was on his way up from L.A., he put up all that military, you know, look like uh, cam- the netting, the netting, the camo netting. Yeah, camouflage junk. I remember, yeah. um, I remember one of the times that I did WWE, I see Mick Foley in the back. So I walked up to him and I said, you know, Mick, I said, I just want to introduce myself. I said, my name is Tony Jones. I was in Beyond the Mat with you. And he looks at me and he goes, oh, yeah. He goes, nice to meet you. And we shake hands. And he goes, you came off good in the movie. And I said, oh, thank I said, thank you. He goes, yeah, your promoter didn't. <laughs> and, and, and I said, yeah, I think that's my fault. And he goes, no, some of the guys, we all watched it together. We thought it was the funniest thing because we all work for promoters like that. And I said, oh, okay. 
But I, I remember Mick Foley saying, yeah, you're that, that come off too said, well. Foley said the two heels of this, he was proud to be lumped in with Vince as the two heels of this documentary, the Blastine documentary. Roland, Roland totally embraced it. Roland was happy to be the heel. You know, he started. Yeah, he but started, he didn't like he started, to use the C word. He didn't like being used with a carny word. Right, that was the one right. thing that did not sit well with him. I do remember that. But he did embrace it, though, because, you know, he started becoming the bad guy on the Internet. You know, and he, that's when he started really going on all over the place on the Internet, talking about, you know, if everybody hates me, then I might as well just go out there and, be, you know, and push APW and just be the hated guy. So he started going to everybody. You know, your guys suck. You know, your, your wrestling shows suck. You know, the APW guys are better. You need to bring my guys in. So he started, you know, pushing that bad guy thing. He didn't he didn't care about how people looked at him, I don't think, after after that movie came out. And I, I had talked with him and I said, you know, Roland, I said, all things considered, I said, we both really benefited from Beyond the Mat. And Roland's like, oh, Tony, it's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And I said, yeah, I go, me too. You know, he said, so, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with it. And I'm lumped in with you and Modest. He goes, I'm fine with it. And I said, okay, you know, cool. I gotta wow. tell you, I, I, I've never told you this one. Very briefly, when the trial happened and Roland had to testify as lead witness, and I was there, he was cutting wrestling promos <laughs> at the frickin' trial at the Hayward Courthouse. Well, that's another story for That's a story that I think, beyond the, ma the, the dark side of the ring, should probably talk about one of these days. The, that whole uh, Brian Ong situation and... And that trial is, is suitable. Stuff know, I never for thought of that. I'm supplying photos for all of their upcoming ones right now. One of them, well, AD's doing one on Piper that I submitted my photos for. But uh, the one I'm working on, there's a Brian Pillman. Yeah, they shouldn't be blabbing this. So you're getting the world premiere of what's going to be in the new dark side. I Brian think. I think. I think. They, I think they announced it. I think I heard okay. about. It. Yeah, I think they announced it because I heard that. I heard some of the new ones that are coming. Um, well, there's like the, the fiasco in North Korea. It wasn't a fiasco. It was the, you know, the big show where everybody got in free, but, you know, they were advertising, able to advertise that Bischoff and WCW drew 300,000 over two days. Well, most of the people were, were comp. They couldn't afford tickets. That's one of them, the Bischoff one. Uh, there's something with Cornette. Anyway, uh, is it already out there with the, the docus are going to be on? I saw, I saw something where they were talking about, you know, this season's new. Dark Side of the Ring, but it's it's been out there. I saw I heard about the Pillman one, but I can't remember. There there was a couple of, there was a couple of others that just don't but come David to me right Schultz, now. David Schultz, I had to send a bunch of photos. I thought they already did him. Well, they one did. of these days they should do it on on APW because there's a lot of weird history there that that should get you know brought to the surface. I while we still have time, I want to find out from you, Tony. You've worked so many places and with so many guys. What do you think your favorite match is, or the your the the highlight of your career in the ring was? Hmm. Our dinner with Ric Flair. Yes, <laughs> that's that, not a that, match. That's, that's not, not a. I, I was just about to say that, Mike. Um, that's not a match, but that's probably the greatest moment in my pro wrestling career. That was that was great, and you snapping those pictures, just to so I'd have it forever. That was just perfect. Um. As far as matches, I, I would probably say my match with Eugene that I had in WWE, and the reason for that is because in the, in that match, they must have said my name probably twenty times. Oh, know, I remember I have, that. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, I have the and I have the match. You know, I have the match on tape, and I mean, I mean, we went back and forth. It was real competitive. Eugene told me beforehand. I, you know, 
he said, what do you want to do out there? And I said, no, I said, brother, whatever you want to do, I'll just be there for you. He goes, no, but I've seen you. you. You've been around. He goes, whatever you want to do out there is fine too. And I said, okay. I go, you know, if it feels good, I said, I'll call it out there. And he said, okay. And we went out there and we had a really good match. It was, you know, back and forth. And I think it was uh, Jonathan Coachman, who they told me back, Steve, Steve Kern, Michael Hayes. They said, you look just like Jonathan Coachman. Yeah. So, so when I went out there, um, Jonathan Coachman's on the microphone. And I think they even said, look at Tony Jones. He looks just like Jonathan Coachman. And then Jonathan Coachman says, uh, you know, no. He, I think he said something like, as good as Tony Jones looks, there's only one Jonathan Coachman. Something like that. I mean, they were just putting me over. I could not believe it. Um, they said Tony Jones probably 10 or 20 times. Um, I remember after the match was over, I went to APW maybe a week later. Roland said, I saw you on in WWE. He goes, Tony, they really put you over. They said your name a bunch of times. And I said, yeah. He goes, What'd you get? How, how'd you get that going? And I said, I have no idea. But I think that's probably, that's when I felt like, okay, I made a name in the business to the point that, you know, they're going to announce my name. So I was really, really happy to see that. Do you want me to bring up one time that I remember about you specifically, that it was a really special time in APW, is when we did Kizar Auditorium and that you kind of returned back to, to you know, the your your SF roots by being able to be one of the wrestlers that we hadn't they hadn't done a show in Kizar in like about fifteen years remember and yes. uh, I know that you were pretty proud to be able to to wrestle there I think you even had your coach in the audience I, that's I the that's the that's the uh, that's the San Francisco State show yes that's probably that's that that ranks up there with my my match with Eugene and the reason for that that was Mike that was Mike Modest and I. Um, for I think it was one of the APW titles, um, and I was able to get my Great coach. Match. That was an was, awesome match. I mean, I remember yeah. it even 20 years later. I remember it was one of the best technical matches that APW ever put on. So that was thank you. Well, thank and you, you did it because I know ahead of time you were you know really it was like your home hometown match for you. It was like you know doing it in your backyard so to speak you know and, and well, our, well i i wrestled i wrestled a bunch of my san francisco state matches in that very gym you know so the same gym that i used to wrestle in you know um while i was wrestling at san francisco state was the same gym that we were doing the pro wrestling match and to get my coach my coach used to always kind of tease me back when i was wrestling at san francisco state because i was always a pro wrestling fan and pro wrestling does not mix with amateur wrestling like amateur wrestling hates pro wrestling okay because you know pro wrestling gives wrestling a bad name when you think of wrestling, you should be thinking about amateur wrestling because that's real wrestling. Pro wrestling is something different. So in the amateur wrestling world, you know, they kind of, you know, snarl at pro wrestling. So whenever I would be in the back of the van reading a pro wrestling magazine or whenever I would talk to somebody about pro wrestling, my coach would kind of tease me a little bit. So I always, I always look back on it and thought it was so cool that we got him involved in a pro wrestling angle because, you know, all that time... When I was wrestling at San Francisco State, he couldn't stand it. But when I came back years later to work against Modest in the San Francisco State gym, I said, Coach, it'd be nice if we can get you involved. And he was basically involved with me beating Modest. You know, Modest climbs up to the top rope. Coach pushes him off the top rope. I hit Modest with a move. One, two, three. So it was a, it was it was a great one match. Greatest, that was one of the greatest moments for my career as well. Well, I hate to say this because... You know, this uh, the, the, we've had what I consider fast hours in the time that we've uh, interviewed people over almost 50 interviews. This has been the fastest hour I can remember. 
And um, I want to respect your time. And I know that um, uh, uh, Lano can't stay the entire, you know, too long. But I want to know what's in your future and what the future holds for, for Tony Jones. Well, for right now, you know, with the pandemic and all that kind of stuff, um, what I'm trying to do is my son and I are trying to work on putting together our own little kind of small podcast. And we're, you know, we're trying to, you know, I'm trying to get my son to kind of lead this whole thing. So he's going to be the host where I'm, I'm kind of like the co-host and we're going to analyze different things about pro wrestling on a weekly basis. And, oh you know, man, I would have had him on the show. You could have, you could have taken the night off. I would have had your son on the show and we could have, well, we maybe, maybe, well, maybe he can be on a future, a future show. I would love to have him on the show um, in the future. And both of you guys, you huh? know, he's a, he's a huge, he's a huge wrestling fan. Um, he's been watching it most of his life. Um, and what we're doing from our podcast angle is, I'm talking about things kind of like an old school way. Oh, I don't like that. Back in my day, this and this and this, whereas he talks about things in a modern perspective. So, you know, that's what we're kind of working on. We're still fine tuning things. And, you know, we've shot two episodes so far, but that's something that we're working on. It's a, you know, father son building kind of a project. If, the, if, as well. the, if our fans wanted to check out that uh, podcast, how could they do that? Well, I haven't, I haven't broadcast it yet, but um, I, I am on Twitter and Instagram. I'm still kind of working that whole thing, but it's TSTJ like the shooter Tony Jones, TSTJ007. So that's my Instagram handle and my Twitter handle. And once we kind of get everything together and, you know, fine tune some things and I'm going I'm to start uploading it and that's where you can, you know, get, you know, information on those, on those podcasts going forward. Sure when you do, make sure to post it on our Facebook page for Wrestling and Everything Coast to Coast. We'd love to help you uh, promote your show and uh, hope that it's a really big success. Well, um, we're right about out of time, unfortunately. We would, I, I would love to have you back anytime that you wanted to. I've been wanting to get you for months and months and months, we know, and you had so many things going on in your life. So I really appreciate you being able to take time out tonight and be on our show. You've been an absolutely fantastic guest. Uh, Mike, do you have anything else you'd like to say to Tony? The old school. I've got a ton of photos in this brand new book just released today, Master of the Ring, The Life of Buddy Rogers. Oh, wow. Supposed to. That's a whole nother story uh, mm -hmm. that I can tell you about privately or whatever. Uh, and also we want to salute Bruce Butch Reed, one of the toughest SOBs. I just want to quickly get this in because I think Tony might know, 90 and 91, I spent most of those years in Japan and just touring around, staying at my gong editor, Wally Yamaguchi's house. But uh, in March of 91, they had the Flair Fujinami thing, where Flair dropped the strap clean. It was title versus title. And at the after party at the Kiyo Plaza Hotel, which was New Japan and Anoki's Hotel for all the boys, um, Butch Reed, they, they had, like, they were all sauced up. It's like one, two, and actually, it was probably two in the morning. And they were doing these arm wrestling things. And... Flair put it, took up his Rolex and was like trying to arm wrestle uh, Bruce Reed, Butch, Butch Reed, who beat him. And, you know, I, I think he gave the, the watch back. But you'll see in the background some of the toughest guys in the world. Scott Norton and the Steiner brothers are looking over this. Arn Anderson and Sharon, you know, I'm on. And, and Flair is sweating and huffing and puffing. And uh, Fujinami is there, who Flair met in that main event. And... Uh, a lot of great memories. So check out, this is Black History Month, and, and we really want to ce celebrate our African-American athletes, brothers and sisters. Um, if you look at Bruce's matches in Kansas City, where he started, and then Atlanta for Georgia Championship, and then, of course, Mid-South for Bill Watts, where he had some amazing matches. <laughs>